Hi, I'm Aura Van Dank, and welcome back to Murders a Drag. This is episode 17, and it is like the fifth episode of my YouTube Kerfluffle series. That's the professional name for it, in case you weren't aware. I got some sun, even though I am been white my whole life and should know to wear sunblock, I did not, and now I am burned and I look a little crispy, and I'm really hoping that my foundation will still match my skin. So, anyhow, this week I am going to be covering the 2002 murder of drag performer, trans icon, and matriarch in the trans community of Philadelphia, Niza Morris. Every week I take my eyebrows off with something different. This week it's a towel and some water. Niza was a very talented and well-known um, drag performer in the Philadelphia scene. She was six foot two and known for wearing stunning stilettos and these leopard print gowns, form-fitting. She was sickening. Niza really knew how to work a crowd. She was a very established queen, as I said. She had been doing it for many years. And she worked at the popular gay club Bob and Barbara's in Philly. A lot of people have described her performances as electrifying. Um, and I can only imagine because she was known for performing Eartha Kitt and Peggy Lee often. And oh boy, if I could have seen that once. Just once. All around, Niza was one of the most captivating queens in Philadelphia's drag history. <clears throat> Excuse me, history. Niza came out as transgender in her early 20s, and she began living her life very much unapologetically and very much as her genuine self. And like most trans people, unfortunately, Niza experienced a lot of violence. Um, a lot of harassment and experienced homelessness. She turned to sex work like a lot of LGBT people do because they're in similar situations. And her life while she was having to do all of that was nowhere near easy, obviously. Um, she experienced a lot of hardship. Being a trans woman, a trans black woman today is terrifying enough as it is and Unfortunately, 30 years ago, it was even more terrifying than it is today. And because she had to live this difficult life in the street, and also because black trans women are arrested and incarcerated at a disproportionately high rate, she had a lot of run-ins with the Philadelphia Police Department. Needless to say, the odds were absolutely stacked against Niza for her whole life. And although she did live through all that hardship and deal with all that heartbreak and tragedy and trauma, she found peace and kind of found a home within her LGBT community and with drag and she had that outlet of being able to perform and just by how her performances were described you can tell how powerful of an outlet that was for her. She really was able to go out and let out all that hurt and all those years of oppression and being abused and traumatized while she was on stage and while she got to perform. Along with drag legend, Philadelphia trans community matriarch, and all-around icon, Niza was also the founder of a Buddhist faith group for trans folks and an advocate for gender-variant sex workers and protecting them and building a system that protects instead of oppresses. In an article for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Philly native Abdul Ali um, wrote an article remembering and raising awareness about Niza's murder. And in that article, they remembered 
seeing Niza elegantly moving through what is called Philly's Gaberhood. They also remember their impression being that she was a beautiful black transgender woman. I recall her kindness. Hey baby, she would say, greeting you as she passed by. Almost 20 years ago, I stumbled upon the neighborhood and was captivated by the boldness and beauty of blackness, hers especially. So clearly, Nizo was a huge icon in her community. She was an inspiration for other black transgender folks to be unapologetically themselves in a safe way. And all around, she was a fantastic individual. On December 22nd, 2002, Niza decided to go out for a party at the Key West Bar, um, which was a popular gay bar in that Philly neighborhood that we were just talking about. That night, um, Niza decided to get drunk for the holidays. That night, Niza had definitely had uh, way too much to drink, and when she had tried to leave the bar around 2 a.m., she didn't make it very far before she collapsed on the sidewalk. When bystanders saw this, they immediately stepped in and formed a circle around Niza, protecting her while they waited for paramedics to arrive. And it's really not uncommon for queens to drink to excess, and I couldn't exactly pinpoint why. Maybe it's because of the drag culture, the bar culture, it, maybe it's being exposed to that all the time. Um, but I, it's just something I've noticed that's very prevalent in the community, queens uh, drinking a lot, a lot, a lot, like a lot. Now this next bit of the story is um, essentially the story that the news got the next day, but as you'll learn later on, this is not exactly what happened. After the paramedics arrived, um, Elizabeth Scala arrived on scene and um, offered to call Niza an ambulance. Niza waved her off, I'm assuming something like that, because she was incapacitated at this point. She couldn't speak, she couldn't stand, she couldn't, I mean, she couldn't do anything for herself. So after she refused the ambulance, the officer offered to take her to the hospital herself in the cruiser, and Niza refused that as well. And she, she wasn't comfortable around police because of her experience that she had already had with the Philadelphia Police Department. So when she was offered a courtesy ride home, Niza reluctantly accepted that from, um, the fuck is her bitch-ass fucking name? Officer Scala. Scala then allegedly drove Niza to um, 15th and Walnut Street, where she says Niza somehow was able to tell her she lived, which was not true, that's not where Niza lived, and allegedly dropped her off there. Minutes later, they're called back to the scene because Niza's laying on the sidewalk, bleeding from a fractured skull. When officers arrived, they called it in as a DK, which is police code for a drunken fall or an accident. Niza was then taken to the hospital where she lay unidentified for 64 hours before she was taken off of life support and passed away on Christmas Eve of 2002. The next day, Niza's mother received a very cold and very disrespectful call from an investigator um, misgendering her daughter, stating simply, he's dead. Now, the inconsistencies in this case are baffling. And mind you, it's 2002, so things were a little bit different 18 years ago, but not a whole lot different than they are, unfortunately, than they are today. For starters, Elizabeth Scala claimed um, that she was the first officer on the scene. Logs proved that that was a lie. She was not the first officer on the scene. Officer... Novak was the first officer on the scene. Kenneth Novak. Second piece of shit. 
I guess Niza was more willing to speak with Elizabeth, maybe because she was a woman, or maybe because she had actually had previous run-ins with Officer Kenneth Novak in some of the times where she was arrested when she was a sex worker. Okay, so let's get this straight. Novak gets there. Scala's called as his backup. Scala tells Novak she doesn't need him, she can handle this six foot two incapacitated drunk transgender woman on her own. Yet Novak does not take himself out of this call and put himself back into service to take another call. He follows Scala on this courtesy ride home. Home. Officer Scala claims that this ride only lasted four minutes. Another inconsistency because her log indicates that this ride actually lasted four times as long. 16 minutes. I can do multiplication. When Officer Scala allegedly arrived at um, the intersection of 15th and Walnut, another piece of shit officer arrives on scene for some reason. Um, and this is Officer Thomas Berry. He offered to help Niza out of the car, to which Niza had a, uh, sobered up in 16 minutes enough to say, no thank you, I don't need a ride, I'm sober enough now in 16 minutes to walk three miles home, no big deal. So Officer Berry shows up um, to the scene now and takes control. Um, he's head honcho now and he says, uh, all right, we're not going to take any videos, we're not going to take any pictures, we're not going to collect any evidence, this is just a drunken fall that somehow fractured her skull uh, to the point where she had significant brain trauma and died. Barry also claims that he left the scene at 3.35 when all of the logs and 911 calls prove that he arrived at the scene at 3.35 and left the scene around 4.05 a.m. when Niza was taken away in the ambulance. And regarding that, witnesses saw Officer Barry um, put a jacket over Niza's face as if she was already dead when witnesses had checked and seen that she was still breathing when they called 911 in the first place. And they also said that when she was being put in the car or in the ambulance, she there was no attempt made to stabilize her head and there was no brace put on her neck and they just kind of tossed her in the ambulance. like. A, they, the witnesses said that they were shocked by the lack of care that was taken with the victim. And hospital records indicate that at 4.15 a.m., the staff had summoned police to help them identify Niza, which indicates that when the police dropped Niza off at the hospital, they didn't even identify her to the staff there. We obviously know that Novak knew who she was because um, he knew her from some of her history as a sex worker. Um, we know that... Barry knew who she was because when he arrived on scene for her head trauma, he was told who she was. Witnesses there identified her by name and that she worked at Bob and Barbara's. And Officer Scala knew who she was because she arrived first when she was very drunk outside the bar in the first place with people who knew who she was. Yet for 64 hours, all three of those low-life, piece-of-fucking-shit human beings let this person lay in the hospital, dying alone, unidentified. And from the trauma that Niza suffered to her head, it was clear to all of the medical professionals, and should have been clear to the police, but since they're most likely the ones who did it, they didn't want to say anything, obviously, that this was not accidental and that this was homicide. Somebody murdered this woman. And actually during a police advisory meeting, 
Bradley Brown, who is Niza Moore's sister, and a former police officer herself said she thinks she knows exactly what happened. And she said, quote, When I went to the morgue and I saw the wound on Niza's head, it was a wound I'd seen many times. Clearly, she was hit by the butt of a gun. And to make matters abundantly worse, after Niza's death was ruled a homicide by medical examiners, the police chief commissioner person um, refused that finding and requested that a second opinion be gotten. Okay. And requested a second opinion from a neurological specialist. And after that second examination, nearly a month later, pushing the investigation back, giving them time to cover their shit up, it was still a homicide because it was clear from the beginning, no fucking question at all that this was a homicide. Blunt force trauma to the skull. Homicide. Six minutes of 911 calls from that night were released when 911 records show that those calls lasted 49 minutes. All of that data, all of that audio is missing, is deleted. Oops. The bulk of the files regarding Niza's case went missing for eight years. Eight years. And when these files were miraculously discovered after eight fucking years, the DA refused to give the files to the Sicilian, to the civilian review board. And when the DA finally agreed to give the files over to the civilian review board, it was under the stipulation that an NDA be signed so that anything that they found could never, ever be shared, ever. That was fucking loud. The one silver lining, and honestly, never mind. I'm not even going to call it a silver lining. The one thing that's happened um, that I don't entirely despise is that the... The Police Advisory Commission found Officer um, Karen, that Elizabeth bitch, um, to have lied blatantly and methodically about her encounter with Niza that night. However, she got a verbal warning, verbal repercussions, was moved to street duty, and to top that cake right there, let's put a cherry on top of that cake. She reportedly works in the commissioner's office now. How do you spell corruption? K-A-R-E-N. <laughs> Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and his cousin, Philip. Mmm, <laughs> getting tweet. And that is all the progress that's been made in this case. And this December makes 18 years since Niza was murdered in the street. And it has been 18 years of some of the laziest police cover-up that I have ever seen. I am very confident that Niza will always be remembered as the icon, matriarch, and beautiful soul that she was. And I think that the community in Philadelphia is never gonna forget her. I think it would be absolutely impossible to forget somebody like Niza Morris. The Morris House is a facility named for Niza and is the only alcohol and substance abuse recovery facility in the nation that caters specifically to transgender and gender nonconforming individuals, which is super cool, and we need a lot more of places like that. And in March of this year, the hashtag sisterly love movement had 
different artists paint huge portraits and wheat paste them all over the city on different important buildings and different historical places of um, all of these really influential women and uh, Niza was actually chosen to be painted and put on a building for that, which was really, really cool. And that was painted by the amazingly, amazingly talented Marissa Velasquez Riva. I've decided to stop lighting my lips on camera during this episode because, um, or during these episodes because it sounds really, really weird on the podcast while I'm just like, and I just, you know, talking with my mouth like that. So, yeah, that sounds weird, but me doing that impression isn't going to be weird in the podcast at all. <laughs> okay, you know the drill. Lashes. Stuff. Whatever. People who are listening to the podcast, get ready for a nice little 10-second song that's not copyright before we phase out and I tell you about closing stuff. Or if you're a skipper, get out of here. I don't want you here anymore. Go. Leave. My story's over. And that is the thing that I did on my face this week. I'm feeling really conflicted about the flippers that I wear because I can't say the Fs in my sentences and um, I just feel kind of dumb wearing them. And I just really wish that I could get my teeth fixed so that I didn't have to wear flippers or didn't feel like I had to wear flippers. Anyway, this week was the story of um, the iconic, the gorgeous Niza Morris and what she did in her life, some of what she accomplished, and um, how she was murdered by the police and it was covered up. I can't imagine those things are great for my teeth, considering this gap is getting bigger. Uh, I don't know what's happening. Um, this is um, some exposition for those of you who wanted to look at my face a little bit longer, but acknowledge how snatched, you know? Um, that was this week's episode. I'll see you next time here, over here, on Murder's a Drag. Mwah!